This morning we begin a study in the book of Acts. Now I had given thought to promoting our new study in last week's newsletter by announcing a study of Axe Men, making a play on the reality show Axe Men. Apparently it wouldn't work anyway. Uh, when I told Steve about it, uh, he thought I was talking about a men's cologne that uh, featured sensuous women in their ads. And uh, so I decided to give up the idea of trying to be too clever this morning or this week. But we are going to be looking at Acts. And if you're not real familiar with the New Testament, you may be wondering what is meant by the book of Acts. You know, A-C-T-S. I have to avoid that confusion I created. Acts of what? Acts of whom? Well, let me assure you that's not a stupid question. When I was studying Acts in college, the professor insisted that while the book of Acts is an account of the activities of the apostles, the title found in most Bibles is wrong. It shouldn't be titled the Acts of the Apostles, but some of the Acts of some of the Apostles. Well, he had a point. You know, Acts is not a record of all the apostles did, but a record of some of what some of them did. It's the record of the beginning and development of the early church and the role the apostles played in its development and growth. It bridges the gap between the Gospels, the record of Jesus' life, and the epistles or letters of our New Testament. And it is in Acts that we meet the Apostle Paul, the author of most of the epistles. So some of the Acts of some of the apostles is no doubt a better name for Acts. But when we studied it last, nearly 15 years ago, we began on Easter Sunday. And I suggested that another name might be even more appropriate. I suggested that the Acts of the Apostles is really the Acts of the Resurrected Christ. It's the record of what Christ did after the resurrection and after commissioning, empowering, and then leaving the apostles behind. Now, perhaps an even better title for the book should be the Acts of the Ascended Christ. But we're going to stick with the Acts of the Resurrected Christ this morning as we introduce Acts by looking at what Christ did after the resurrection until he ascended into heaven. And we begin with the resurrected Christ commissioning the apostles. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. 
Luke begins the book of Acts by referring to the first account he composed, which was the gospel, according to Luke. It, too, was addressed to Theophilus, a name that means loved of God. Now, we really don't know who this Theophilus is, but in his gospel, Luke addressed him as most excellent Theophilus, leading many to believe that he was a Roman official of high position. Well, whoever he was, he was the recipient of two very important scrolls, equal in size, and each covering approximately a 33-year time span, both written by Luke, the physician and companion of the Apostle Paul. And as he says in his brief introduction to Acts, Luke's first account was about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, by all, he doesn't mean to imply he has written everything that Jesus did while on earth, that he has written an exhaustive history of the life and teachings of Jesus. By using all, he's using it in the, in the sense of let me tell you all about it. I want to tell you the story about Jesus. And his first account tells what Jesus did until the day he was taken up, until he was ascended into heaven. And that's where the Gospel of Luke ends, giving us just a brief glimpse of Jesus parting from the apostles. The second account picks up shortly before the ascension and is about all Jesus continued to do after leaving this world. It's not, however, a picture of what he's doing in heaven. It's a picture of how he continued to work in this world through his apostles and the church. And when we say he continued to work through them, we're not merely saying that they continued his work or that his work lived on through them. We're saying that Jesus actually continued to work through them, something only the resurrected Son of God could do. And he had made it very clear that that was exactly what he would do when he gave final orders to the apostles just before being taken up, when he commissioned them. Now, the most explicit record of his commission is found in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We call it the Great Commission because it's when Jesus commissioned the apostles to make disciples of all nations. And in it he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now that is indeed a great commission to take the gospel into the whole world. Those were the apostles' marching orders, and in a sense they are our orders as well. And the book of Acts shows how those orders were carried out in the first century. But Jesus didn't just leave orders and leave. He concluded the commission with a promise to be with them always. Continuing in Matthew 28, 20, we read, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
He was promising to actually be with them. With them in a way no one else has ever been able to be with others in this world after their death. And he demonstrated his ability to be with them after his death by actually taking on physical flesh and bone and appearing to them, talking with them, letting them touch him and eating with them. And he did so at least 13 times over a period of 40 days, on one occasion appearing to over 500 people. Now again, this was after his death and resurrection. And during this 40-day period, he actually inhabited the spiritual realm. He had been risen with a glorified body that had access to the spiritual realms. But yet, he interacted with the apostles physically, moving from one dimension to another to assure them that he would always be available to them. And during those encounters, he taught them about the true nature of the kingdom of God and prepared them for the work that he was entrusting to them. He knew, however, that they would need even more than instructions and assurances of his involvement if they were to fulfill the Great Commission. They would need divine power if they were to do divine work. So he promised to empower them with the Holy Spirit. Verses 4 through 8. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Before ascending, Jesus told the apostles to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And that promise was that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, John spoke of this when baptizing Jews to get them ready for Jesus' ministry. He said he baptized with water for repentance, but Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. That baptism was about to take place not many days after the ascension. And we will study it in detail when we come to chapter 2. For now it's enough to note that the Holy Spirit would enable them to study or to serve as Christ's apostles. Jesus had told them earlier that he would leave them, but he wouldn't leave them alone. He said he would send to them the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who would not only empower them, but would teach them all things. He would guide them into all truth and bring to the remembrance all that he had said to them. 
they would then have what they needed to do the work he had given to them. They could make disciples of all nations. Now, all this talk about the nations and the kingdom stirred up some old messianic hopes in the apostles. Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel, they asked. Jesus didn't even answer. They would soon understand that the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. All he said was that they didn't need to know God's schedule of events for the kingdom. All they needed was the power to be witnesses. And that was coming to them shortly. They would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And indeed, they were. That's the story of Acts. In fact, that is a geographical outline to the book of Acts. Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 7. Judea and Samaria, chapters 8 through 12. And the remotest part of the earth subdivided into Asia Minor, chapters 13 through 15. Macedonia and Greece, chapters 16 through 23. And Rome, chapters 24 through 28. The glorified Christ was going to work through his apostles and his church, and through us. Now for us, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and the remotest part might be our city and state and nation and world. Or we can bring it even closer to home, our home, our neighborhood, our workplace, and wherever we go. That chapter of the Acts of the Resurrected Christ is still being written. And the same power is still available through the Holy Spirit. Only we don't have to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It has already happened. He's already here and available to us. We simply surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Allow ourselves to be baptized in a watery grave of Christian baptism for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. The Spirit takes up residence in our cleansed and redeemed heart and empowers us to be witnesses in the home, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, and wherever we go. Christ wants to work through us today, and He can actually do so through His Spirit, if we'll let Him. He can do so because he has risen to a spiritual realm. He left us physically so he would no longer be limited to one place and time. He left the apostles and us to be with us everywhere. Verses 9 through 11. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven 
will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This parting signaled the end of Christ's post-resurrection appearances. He had been, in effect, popping in and out, crossing from the spiritual realm into the physical realm, and it was time to bring those appearances to an end. He didn't want the apostles going through life looking for him behind every closed door and getting frustrated when he didn't appear. He wanted them to know he was always with them. That he didn't have to take on flesh and bone to be with them. So he left in a way that brought his appearances to a close. While blessing them, he was lifted up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now that detail about the cloud was more than a weather report, noting that Jesus ascended on a cloudy day. In the Old Testament, the cloud that hovered over the tabernacle was the Shekinah presence of God. At the transfiguration, God spoke from a cloud. The cloud gave evidence that Jesus had left the physical realm and entered into the very presence of God. The angels affirmed that Jesus had indeed been taken up into heaven. They also said he would one day return in the same way they had seen him depart. Someday Jesus will visibly reappear in the sky and we will rise to meet him in the air before descending with him to a new heaven and new earth, where we will dwell together for all eternity. Until then, Jesus will not physically interact with us. He will be inhabiting the spiritual realm from which he can interact with us spiritually. And that is to our advantage. Because Jesus can now enter into our hearts and work through us. Our lives can be the acts of the resurrected Christ because we've been commissioned, empowered, and inhabited by our risen Lord.